Now, I want to dive right into the Bible real quick this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. You knew it was coming. We're in the middle of a series. Uh, we've been through Matthew 5. Now we're in Matthew chapter 6. And I just want to dive right into verse 22 this morning. Now, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, the red letter edition, if you know what it is, is they highlight all the words of Jesus in red. So if you're reading in a red letter version, you'll know that these are the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, this morning. It says this, it says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. I have something to share with you this morning that not many people in this church would know about me. And it's not a deep, dark secret. It's actually just a, a superficial piece of trivia. But this thing that you don't know about me, most of you, is that I actually wear glasses. <laughs> Who's ever seen me wear glasses? Anyone ever seen me with my glasses on? I have these glasses that I wear. I have a prescription. Oh, now I can see the clock, so now I can get you out on. Let's take these off. I don't want you guys, you got to get your money's worth. Here's the thing about my glasses. I have these glasses, and it's because I need them not to see up close. I need them to see distance. Any distance people, you're like, I need glasses for distance, right? Where's the people that you need glasses up close? Are the up close people? Where's the people your arm is just like not long enough anymore? I was looking, I was bugging one of the guys here at the church. I looked at, he was answering his text message. And I was like, how is that font? There's like size 25 font on the screen. I was like, wow, you need an iPad as a phone, right, to have font that big. Here's the thing about my glasses. I rarely feel like I need them. The, the truth is, day to day, I'm quite happy not wearing them. I don't feel like I need them. I'm fine without them. And it's just like my vision is A-OK, -okay, according to me. Now, my wife, on the other hand, has been telling me for years that I needed glasses. When we first got married, she told me, Jerry, you need to go and get your eyes checked. And, and I thought, you know what, I'm fine. Like, so what if I squint a little bit when I'm reading the McDonald's menu and like, you know? <laughs> so what if I can't see the clock at church and I go over long sermons every week and the people, they love it, right? <laughs> I don't need to be able to read the license plate of the car in front of me. I just need to know there's a car there, right? I'm not that blind. I can see there's a car, right? Now, if they were to run me over, I would have no idea what their plate was. But here's the thing. It wasn't until I went to upgrade my driver's license. I was a youth pastor at the time, and I wanted to get a school bus license so I could drive all the kids around. And so I went, and I took the bus driving course, and I passed the test, and I went to the licensing office to get my license so I could drive all the church youth around on the school bus. And the lady said, hey, that's great. Glad you passed your course. Glad you passed your driver's test. Now, just look in that little box on the table in front of me. And I was like, okay. And I confidently walked up to this little box. You ever see this little box? And you look in it like this. Confidently, I looked at this box and I began to read out what I saw. Five, eight, seven, three. The lady looked at me and said, sir, those are letters, not numbers. <laughs> so I had to go home and say to my wife, yet again, you're right, as usual, right again. You can imagine how shocked I was when I finally got my prescription. 
and I put it on for the first time, and it's like the world was in HD. You ever notice that? It's like all the leaves of the tree and every blade of grass was all like, you could see it all in stunning HD. That's what Jesus is getting at here in this passage. He says, your eye is like a lamp to provide light to your body. Now, he's not referring to our physical eyeballs. What he's talking about here is our focus, our perspective. What he's really getting at here is how we view ourselves, how we view our circumstances. Ultimately, we could say he's talking about our worldview. He's talking about our worldview. There's a focus, a perspective. There's a worldview that leads to light and to life in your soul. And there's also a worldview that leads to darkness. How many know that darkness leads to hurt, to pain, to brokenness? And so Jesus, in this passage, he's encouraging us all to go get your eyes checked. Get your eyes checked. Don't be like me. Don't be in denial. You know, don't be okay with just the status quo, resisting the encouragement to take the eye exam. And verse 23 says, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Now, if you're just joining us, we're in the middle of a summer sermon series. We're calling Summer on the Mount. And we've been looking at the, 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 the Sermon on the Mount, as is commonly known, uh, based in three chapters in the Gospel of, of Matthew. And it's widely recognized to be one of the, the largest chunks of Jesus' teaching, all from one setting. And we see pieces of it show up in a different teaching in Luke. So I think these are some themes and principles that Jesus was teaching often in different contexts and places. Uh, but really, the, the Sermon on the Mount is about a captivating vision of a new way to be human. It's about recapturing and reestablishing humanity's relationship with God. It's talking about this is the reorientation of our lives around the uh, ethic and grace of God's kingdom. And so as Jesus is teaching, it's really his manifesto of what it looks like to live life in the kingdom of God. And so what we've been highlighting is that there's a stark contrast. There's a countercultural uh, expectation of Jesus against the status quo. Uh, there's a countercultural expectation of Jesus, not just against the, the secular society, but even of the religious uh, beliefs and views of his day and our day too. Theologian John Stott, he describes his Sermon on the Mount this way. He said, here's a Christian value system. It's an ethical standard, religious devotion and attitude, all of which are totally at variance with those of the non-Christian world. And this Christian counterculture is the life of the kingdom of God, a fully human life indeed, but lived out under the divine rule. See, the Sermon on the Mount is not a lecture. It's an impassioned appeal by Jesus about how the heart of God is for us and how we can live underneath the direction and grace and purpose that God created us for. Jesus said of himself in John 12, 46, that his purpose is this, that I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. How do you know Jesus is about dispelling the darkness? He wants to bring life and light to each of our souls. And so Jesus entered this world. It was a dark world. Scripture describes it as a world of sorrow, of brokenness, of pain. We look at our world today, we know not a lot has changed 
but we do see that Jesus brought into this world healing, wholeness, and hope. And wherever you see the kingdom of God, in the midst of this dark world we live in, you see healing, wholeness, and hope. Some of you have experienced that yourselves. You've shared your stories with me of how in the darkness, God brought healing, wholeness, and hope to you. How many can say amen? That's true in your life. Now, the reason for all this darkness then and now is a bad worldview. It's about a clouded lens through which we view ourselves. And it's about this distorted lens through which we perceive reality. And so throughout this teaching that we've been studying this summer, we've been seeing Jesus drawing clear lines around some of the issues and areas of our lives and challenging us, challenging us to see those issues and areas of our lives differently. And it's, it's no different uh, today. Now, the context of these verses might surprise you a little bit because we've been going through verse by verse and section by section, and I jumped a verse here. Let's read this in perspective. What's the surrounding context about this verse on focus, perspective, and worldview that Jesus has presented to us? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 says this. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eyes like a lamp that provides light for your body and when your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness and if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And just in case we're not clear what Jesus is getting at here, he says, you cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. It's interesting, right? It almost feels like those verses are out of context. Jesus, what's happening here? You're talking about money and treasure and finance, and then you're talking about our worldview and our, the way we perceive things. And how many know that suddenly some of us are getting a little bit uncomfortable? Like, oh, we're talking about money today. Eey. Right? I love those commercials. You've seen the Scotiabank commercials where it's like people would rather have any other awkward conversation other than the one about money. Right? If you haven't seen this, it's pretty funny. But, uh, you know, we're often willing to have any other awkward conversation. You throw money into the conversation alongside, talk about our spiritual lives, and that's when it gets really uncomfortable, doesn't it? Yeah. Right? It's awkward, right? We get a little edgy, and I understand that we've all heard and seen stories of excesses and abuse uh, within church, especially money in the church, but money in the world. Anywhere you go, there's corruption, abuse, all kinds of things like that. When it comes to conversation about money, uh, a lot of us are kind of like the kids who love the plates with the little sections on them. You ever seen that, like the plate with the containers, like the little the dividing section, right? Anyone you still use that? That's like you don't want your things, you don't want your peas to touch your mashed potatoes, and you don't want it to touch your, and we, have, we want to compartmentalize everything. And a lot of us, we look at our lives, and we just want to keep it compartmentalized, especially the part where our money and our spirituality, uh, we don't want those things touching together. But Jesus talked about money all the time. In fact, he actually talked about money more than he mentioned prayer and more than he mentioned love, more than he mentioned prayer and love together. 
If you were to thinking, what is the message of Jesus, you would think prayer and love would be big ones. But he actually talked about money more than he ever talked about any of those. And here's the thing, it's not because he needed money. Jesus took fish and loaves and multiplied it into an all-you-can-eat buffet for the crowd in front of him. He doesn't need the money. The Bible tells us one story where the disciples needed to go and pay the temple tax. And so Jesus said, go catch a fish and look in its mouth. And they did, and inside was a coin for the... Jesus doesn't need the money. It's not why he talks about it. But Jesus doesn't talk about the money because he needs it. He talks about the money because he knows that we need it. We need to have an understanding of our view, how we treat our wealth. Because he says this is the best indicator of where our heart's at. Jesus says there's no division between spiritual and material. It's all one plate mixing together. And so my title today, if you're taking notes, is Keep an eye on your money. Jesus says, keep an eye on your money. Keep an eye on your money today. Now, instead of getting defensive, instead of being suspicious that the church just wants my money, we're not going to have an extra offering at the end of the service. It's okay. No pressure. Let's look at this teaching within the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Rather than minimizing this subject and being, well, we don't really want to think about that too much, look, look at it in the light of everything else Jesus was teaching. Everywhere else in this passage, Jesus is saying, instead of minimizing your joy and your peace and your fulfillment, he's saying, I actually want to set you free. I want to set you free from a worldview that holds you bond in bondage. I want to set you free from a darkness that leads to hurt and to pain and to despair. He says, in case you think the light you have is light and it's actually darkness, how darkness that is, right? How dark that is. Just think about it. How much stress, how much anxiety, how much relationship trauma and drama come as a result of being attached to money? How many would know? You might know from your own experience that money is the number one subject that couples fight over. 74% of couples who live together report they fight over finances. It's the, often the reason for bad business partnership breakups. It's the reason you don't want to go for lunch with your friend who keeps telling you they'll pay you back. Because <laughs> they don't. Right? Jesus doesn't need your money. But he knows that you and I need to be free from money being our master. We need to be freed from wealth being an idol in our life. And ultimately, we need to be freed from the grip of greed, don't we? That's countercultural teaching of Jesus. And it's summed up here. The gospel writer Luke, he puts it this way. He says, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Our relationship with money isn't a math issue. Most of us think it's a math issue. I either have too much or too little, and none of us would say we have too much, right? We think money is a math issue. Jesus says here that it's a heart issue. How many of that materialism and a love of money isn't just an issue for people who have a lot of money? It's possible to not have very many things and be materialistic, and it's equally possible to have a lot of stuff and not be materialistic. See, materialism isn't just about having things, 
Materialism is about the belief that having things will bring you status, happiness, security, or identity. How many of us sometimes they're brokest people who believe things about wealth that people who've accumulated have already discovered aren't true? Right? It's like the great philosopher, Biggie Smalls. More money, more problems. <laughs> Our relationship... <laughs> I don't know. I've never experienced it. I'll just say it myself. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Our relationship with money isn't a Matthew issue. It's a heart issue. And when it comes to wealth, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. Now, I think there's three kinds of people when it comes to money. The first one is the spender. The spender views money as a source for joy and for happiness. The second kind of person is the saver. They view money as a source of security for tomorrow. Because the spender sees money as a source of joy and happiness, it just goes to follow that they spend it. For the saver, they're looking forward to tomorrow and the security it brings, and so they limit their spending and then focus their uh, attention to accumulating wealth. Now, how many know that in our world, it's most often that opposites attract, and often these two people find each other, and then they get married, and then they fight about why the other person has a problem with money. It's what happens all the time. See, for the spender, the fear is that I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss out if I don't have the latest, the greatest, or if I don't experience what money can buy. For the saver, the fear is that I won't have enough. And if I don't have enough, and if it's scarce, then I better hoard it. I don't know what tomorrow holds, uh, so I better hang on to it. We have these two types of people. In reality, they both serve money looking to it to provide something essential to their life, don't they? For one, they're looking at it to provide joy, happiness. The other one, security. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says this, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money... It's not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. People actually wander from their faith, their dependence and trust in God and their pursuit of finance, and as a result, pierce themselves with many sorrows. Now, this can be applied to so many areas of our lives, can it? But what about specifically the trap and sorrow of consumer debt. Consumer debt. You know, I know the reality. You know, our economists are telling us that life is tough right now. Uh, inflation is making things challenging. The, the rising costs of everything. I, I know, you know, it's like the purse strings are, are tightening on a lot of us. But the reality is that many Canadians aren't working hard so that they can actually buy more stuff. Many Canadians are actually working hard to pay off the stuff they've already bought. 43% of Canadians have credit card debt, and 67% of them aren't paying more than the minimum payment. 40% 
say that it will take them six months or more to pay it off. And 11% of Canadians have no idea when they could pay it off. 30% report experiencing negative effects in their daily life owing to uh, owing money. They experience having stress, worry, anxiety, depression, mental health challenges, and physical health issues as a result of the burden of carrying consumer debt. Here's the thing, I know, I know that inflation, I know the rising, I know all of that, I know it's a challenging season that we live in, but the truth is that many Canadians suffer from what experts call present bias. Present bias. Present bias emphasizes now over later. Right? Present bias, I know some of us are putting a little bit aside for the future. We're thinking about retirement one day. But statistics show us as Canadians, most of us are interested more in now me than later me. Right? Well, what this looks like is when now you buy things you don't really need and you're going to give the bill to later you to take care of. Right? It's called present bias. Listen, Oren... Uh, Bar Gill, he's a, a Harvard professor and economist. This is what he says. He says, we're getting into debt just a little bit at a time. We might use our credit card to buy pizza or coffee or sneakers. And these small purchases that eventually add up to huge amounts of debt when we use our credit cards to finance them. We would never go into a bank and take a loan for $20,000 to buy pizza and coffee and sneakers. But it turns out that's exactly what's happening through this little bit at a time borrowing through credit cards. When it happens a little bit at a time, you really don't understand you're getting into until it's too late. We're so set on storing up treasures here on earth that we can't even wait till we have the money to pay for them. We're buying them in advance. Buy it now and worry about it later. How many know the pleasure that debt purchases is rarely worth the pressure that debt produces. Let me say that again. It says the pleasure debt purchases is rarely worth the pleasure, the pressure that debt produces. How many of you have ever bought that thing and you lied awake in bed that night wondering if you made the right decision? Right? But this brings us to our third category. We had the spender and we had the saver. Now both of those practices are healthy. We should be spending and saving uh, with a plan and with wisdom. Uh, but there's a third category, and it's called the steward. See, the steward sees God as a source of happiness, fulfillment, security, and identity. And the steward sees money as simply a tool to be used and to help be held on to loosely. See, rather than hoarding, rather than just spending, the steward actually looks at what they have, all of it, as a gift from God to be surrendered to him. It's not key to their happiness or success, and it's not key to their sense of security. See, a steward holds their possessions loosely because they recognize that they didn't earn it, they didn't deserve it. That everything they have is a gift from God. And when we look at ourselves and we think that we're self-made people, we look at our grind and think, I deserve what I've, what I've gained. How many know that it's like, you, I know someone, and they were telling me recently, they're like, I have all the toys. 
I have the boat, I have the car, I have the motorcycle. And they were looking at me and they were just saying, I don't have the health to enjoy any of it. How many of everything that we have is a gift from God who gives us the ability to produce, to work, and to enjoy. A steward looks at everything they have as a gift. And with that comes an opportunity to be thankful and an opportunity to be a blessing to others. You know, last week, Pastor Holly, she did such an amazing job uh, reminding us about how small this life is in comparison to eternity, that we, that we need to have a proper view of this world. It's but a short time, but we have an eternity that awaits us, to have an eternal perspective. And so in light of that, why would we waste all of our identity, all of our energy, all of our worry about something for just a short period? She was talking to us about the things that matter so much to us today, but next week have faded into the background. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. There's a saying that says you never see a hearse with a trailer hitch. Right? There's no U-Haul trailer on the back going to the cemetery. It just doesn't happen. You can't take it with you. Right? You came into this world with nothing. You're going to leave this world with nothing. I wrote down you came into the world naked, but I didn't want anyone having visual images and now I just ruined it because now you're thinking about it. <laughs> it's important to recognize, though, listen to me, that nowhere did Jesus magnify poverty. Nowhere did Jesus say poverty is the goal and the example that I want for your life. And nowhere did he criticize wealth. He never criticized those that have. It wasn't like Jesus is saying this one is superior to that one. In fact, next week, Pastor Ralph's going to talk to us about how God understands our needs and provides for our needs. There are things that we need in this life, and not just to eke by, but also to enjoy. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, teach those who are rich in this world to give it all away. No, he didn't say that. He said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is unreliable, their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God's not talking about you need to give it all away and take a vow of poverty. He said we need to have a proper perspective on where wealth fits in our life. He said we got to have a, keep our eye on our money. I want to talk to you about three ways to make money your servant and not your master. Three ways to make money your servant and not your master. The first one is this. Live with gratitude. Everyone say live with gratitude. <laughs> live with gratitude. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? That includes our salvation. That includes our health. That includes our finances. Everything we have is a gift. And as a steward, I hold everything I have loosely. And I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for everything I have. And for what I don't have, I know that you can provide. And if you haven't provided it yet, I must not need it yet. Thank you, God, for all that you have. See, if you aren't grateful for what you do have, you won't be grateful when you have more. Right? Some of us are like, if I had more, then I would be grateful. How many know if you're not grateful for what you have now, you won't be grateful for what you have later? Live with gratitude. Second one is give with generosity. Everyone say, give with generosity. How many know that generosity always follows gratitude? Generosity always follows gratitude. When you recognize that you've been blessed, you can't help but want to be a blessing to others. When we are generous in our giving, our time, 
our talents, our resources. We are uh, pushing forward in the way of Jesus. When we're generous with our lives, we are exemplifying the, the modeling of Jesus gave for us and the culture of his kingdom. See, generosity is an act of faith. Generosity is an act of faith that helps us keep our priorities straight. It reminds us that in every area of our lives, God is in control, and that we're just stewards of everything that God has given us. Generosity is an act of faith because when I believe that everything that I have is from God, that God provides for all I need, and if I give away some of what I have, my faith is that there's more that came from because it came from God, and God knows my needs, and God loves me, and as I want to be a blessing to others, God will in turn bless me. Generosity is an act of faith. Generosity asks of everything, especially our wealth, is this for my enjoyment or is this for the blessing of others? I remember as a high school kid hearing that and thinking, wow, that's a life-changing way of looking at finances. That's countercultural, isn't it? That when we take everything that we have and we say, God, is this for my enjoyment or is this for the blessing of others? That's countercultural. And how many know that, the, like I just said, the answer is not always give it all away. Sometimes God's like, yeah, enjoy it. I give it to you. En enjoy it. Spend it however you want because I know that all the other areas of your lives are healthy and taken care of. This is a gift from me to you. And sometimes you get the gift and you say, wow, is this for the blessing of someone else? Sometimes God will ask you to take the thing you really enjoy and bless somebody else with it. And it's hard. It's hard. To sacrifice, but when we are generous, we're saying, God, I know this is a gift from you, and if you want me to pass it on to someone else, I'm willing to do that. Being a steward of God's gifts means you're always evaluating your priorities. You're intentionally setting aside money for generous giving. How many know that for some of us to create room in our budgets to give generously, we would have to cut back some areas? We'd have to leave out some areas of spending, we might have to delay some of our personal goals. How do we know that's the point? This isn't just about meeting every whim and desire of mine right now. It's about investing in something bigger than ourselves. I don't know if you've ever dreamed about what you would do if you won the lottery. My son was asking me a couple weeks ago, Dad, what would you do if you won a million bucks? How many know? That sounds like a lot of money. Until you start dreaming what you could do with it, Right? All of a sudden, you're like, well, I kind of need like a few millions for all the things that I want to do <laughs> in my life. I want to repay that, pay this off. I'd like to upgrade this. Of course, I'm going to be generous with it. You have all the plans. And like, we could spend it really quickly, couldn't we? We're evaluating. And we think about what we would do with something we don't have. But how about we're thinking about doing something with what we do have? When it, for being honest, when it comes to generous giving, many of us would just feel like we can't. I can't because I'm maxed out. I have three hungry teenagers in my house and the cost of groceries is going up. Can't, can't do it, we're maxed. I have credit card bills that need to be paid. The truth is that we might be, we might be maxed out. But not because we don't have the capacity to give. For really being honest, it's because we haven't planned to give. If you don't plan for it, you won't be able to do it and it'll never be a good time. But if you plan for it, you'll find small incremental ways of starting to move forward. 
Isaiah 32, 3 says, generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. We all plan how to get more. Right? We all plan how to save more. We all have plans on how to spend more. And we all have plans on how to spend what we don't even have yet if we ever win the lottery. But how much planning goes into how to give more? This is just a simple thing. I've shared this with you before. And I, I got this from Park, uh, Pastor Mark Batterson. He says, four steps to grow in generosity. And the first level is this, giving spontaneously. It's just giving what you can. You might feel like, I, I don't have much. Give what you can. Just start. Start somewhere. The second level is giving consistently. Giving what I can consistently. Making a habit of my life. As Christians, we see a third step in Scripture that's giving proportionately. Or planning to tithe. Basing it on a percentage. If you're new to church or you're new to Bethel, the Bible actually has a lot to say about how we fund and finance the kingdom of God and how we provide for the kingdom of God through the church and through the various works uh, of the Christian community. I'm not going to get into that a lot today. I don't want to make this about tithing, but I would just say I preached a great sermon on it in March 6, 2022 called Money on Purpose. And so you can go on our YouTube website and look up March 6, 2022, Money on Purpose, and you can find a whole sermon there on tithing. This isn't about that, but it's part of it because Jesus says this materialism isn't separate from our spiritual life. Our wealth isn't separate. It's all part of one healthy spirituality. So it gives spontaneously, giving consistently, giving proportionately, and the fourth level, and when you get to this level, it's such a fun place to be. Remember Jesus said, I want to give for you, uh, for your enjoyment. When you get to this level of generosity, you realize how much of an enjoyment it actually comes, not in hoarding, uh, not in spending, but actually being generous, and it's giving radically. It's planning to give with generosity, I love the stories that I hear from people that are like, you know, Pastor Jer, I heard this week one guy was like, if you told me a week ago, a, a year ago, he said, like, you wouldn't believe the change that God's made in my life. I'm giving of my time. I'm volunteering and serving. I'm engaging with people. I'm giving of myself. I'm giving generously. I can't believe the transformation from where I was last year to this year. Someone else in the church was like, you know what, Pastor Jared, last year you challenged us to start tithing, and, and I did. And you know what their highlight of their year was? That the CRA, the Canada Revenue Agency, audited them. And the highlight of their year was the agency said, we want to see your charitable giving receipts because you're giving way and above more than the average Canadian. You're giving way and above more than someone in your income bracket. We want to see proof. And they were like, that is so amazing. I love when the Canada Revenue Agency audits people for their generosity. There's so much joy. So much joy. How do we grow in, in making sure that money's not our master? We, we are, live with gratitude. We live with generosity. And to come back to what Holly said last year, we live with eternity in mind. We realize that this isn't all there is. Jesus says whatever we gain for ourselves in this life is susceptible to moth, to rust, to corruption, to thieves. So if you're going to put so much of your life into holding on to and containing these things and trying to make sure it doesn't slip through my fingers, what a life that is. But he says there's a freedom. 
freedom that comes when you say, Jesus, all of this is yours in the first place. What do I have that you haven't given to me? And I'm not taking any of this with me. All I can take with me is my character. All I can take with me is my acts of service and generosity. All I can take with me are the people that I've invested in and pointed towards you who found you as their Lord and Savior. That's all I can take with me. So I give so much time and focus. I don't want to serve money. I don't want to serve wealth. I want to live generously and open-handedly saying, God, you're my source. Whatever I have, would you take it? Would you use it to bless however you see fit? And if I get to enjoy some of it, I'm grateful and I'm thankful. I'm going to ask you to close your head. I close your head. <laughs> Don't close your head. Keep an open mind. To bow your eyes. <laughs> You know, if you're a church person, just do the thing that we always do. <laughs> Here's what Jesus is saying. So whatever commands your heart, whatever dictates your desires, it will be what you're devoted to and ultimately what you'll serve. Nobody can serve wealth and serve God at the same time. But when we serve God, we live this life of freedom and peace and joy because it's not dictated on what we have or what we don't have. It's dictated on who we have. And Jesus said, I will be with you always. And one day you'll be with me in paradise. I can have joy in a lot or joy in a little. It's harder sometimes. It's frustrating. It comes with anxiety once in a while. But I know God's got it. I was talking to my friend, the pastor in Kelowna, and they were at very real risk of losing their house this past week. The fires had crept right up into their backyard, and they weren't sure if the house was still standing. watched my friend, Pastor Mike at Evangel Church, and he led his church. He led his community with faith, courage, boldness. He led asking, what can I do to serve you? His heart wasn't tied to the house. Tied to the purpose of serving people. Serving God however he could. And I watch that and I say, God, I'm so grateful. Are you grateful today? I don't want to say I value God and have my spending habits and my actions speak otherwise. Right? Maybe you're here and you would say, you know, Pastor Jer, I'm being honest, I would look to many things for peace and purpose, for happiness, for security. But I haven't looked to God. I haven't looked to Jesus. Here's what I know is true. All of those things come up empty and eventually will disappoint you. But Jesus says, I will be with you always. If you 
look to Jesus today, you'll find fulfillment, you'll find peace, you'll find security, you'll find the thing that you've been looking everywhere else for. And it's not gonna cost you because it's a free gift from God. But on the same hand, it will cost you because it requires you giving up the right to your life and saying, Jesus, I will follow you. Live out your ways. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor Jerry, that's me. Would you pray for me? I know today that I've been looking in many places, but I need to start looking to Jesus as my Savior, as my guide, as my provider. Would you just raise your hand real quick so I can see it this morning and pray with you? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. The back, thank you over here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you at the back over there. This section over here, anyone this morning? I need to look to Jesus today. Yes, thank you. Praise God. Would you stand with me all over this place? We started this service by having a moment of prayer, of gratitude, thankfulness, prayer of intercession for our friends. But would you just, right now, if an act, symbolic act, if you would, if you're comfortable, would you just raise your hands like this? This is a sign of openness. God, I'm just open to you today. God, I just want to receive what you're saying. I want to be open to uh, this word that I've heard. Maybe you're already saying, yeah, I'm already in this posture. Lord, I already lived this. And just help me to live it even clearer, to be reminded afresh. Uh, keep an eye on my money. But most of all, keep an eye on my heart. Maybe for you, it's the first step of saying, God, I'm holding on tightly to some things that I'm finding hard to let go of. There's a risk in this prayer because this risk is I need to change my perspective. I need to change where my source of security comes from. I need to change the source. Lord, to, to open my hands, I've been holding and hoarding and trying to build wealth and security for myself, and yet I give it to you. So Jesus, I pray all across this place, young and old, we come before you and we say, Lord, we want to respond in obedience to this word. Not because you're trying to restrict us, not because you're trying to take something from us. You don't need any of it. But you know that we need it. Lord, so that we can live the life of freedom, the life of gratitude, the life of generosity, the life of peace that you have designed for us. So I pray for each person today that's turning to you for the first time the first time in a long time, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you come right now and give them the assurance, Lord, as they turn from leading themselves to letting you lead their life, Lord, that you're with them in this moment. God, that your love envelops them, that your spirit is guiding them and filling them, Lord God, so that they can live this life of peace and hope and generosity. Let all of us, I pray, experience the freedom and the refreshing, Lord God, of living out your truth today. In the name of Jesus, we Amen. Amen. Sure. Would you just lead us in a chorus this morning, a celebration, and then we'll pray together in just a second.